Will you pray with me? Oh God, we just pray that you um, accept our praise. We love you so much. And we worship your holy name. So we pray that you just accept our praise in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. God, we pray that you, um, you come and move in our hearts today to the places in our hearts that, uh, that need you, that desperately need you, the places that um, we may not even be aware that we, that we need you. God, so we just pray for your, your powerful spirit to break in and meet us today. In your son's name we pray, amen. My name is uh, Angela Reese. I am one of the pastors here at Providence. And when I first started working at Providence, it was as the director of children's ministries. And I remember the day that, that I went up to Jacob and I told him that I was interested in applying for the position. We were uh, still a mobile church. We were meeting at a local middle school here in Mount Juliet. And we were cleaning up, packing up all the things after our services on Sunday morning. And I went up and I told him, I was interested, and he said to me, that's great. I, I would love to talk with you and hear your vision for the ministry. And I said, okay, great. And I, I left and I went to Walmart and I walked around Walmart for a really long time. I had this big shopping list. I ended up not buying a single item on it. I just pushed this big old empty cart through the aisles of Walmart, talking to God out loud. Like, I'm one of the people that make Walmart weird, and I know that. I'm okay with it. I really am. I'm okay with it. But I never saw myself working in ministry. You know, it was a surprising call on my life. Um, I was driving down the road one day, and I felt God say to me in my spirit that I would be the director of children's ministries at Providence Church. And I said back to God in my spirit that I was not at all qualified for that position. He has the wrong person. End of discussion on my part, you know. But God kept delivering that message to me from a lot of different angles, and I could no longer ignore it. So my conversation with God in Walmart went something like this. It was like... God, if you want me to do this, you're going to need to give me a plan. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't asking God for help. I was telling God what I needed him to do. Like, he needed to give me a vision because I didn't have one. And I didn't know where to start, and I didn't know how to build it, and I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know, and I didn't know, and I didn't know, and I was afraid. And I needed a lot of help. Um, because, like Pastor Gary talked about last week, I was unlettered and unlearned. Like I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth and I didn't go to college after high school. I didn't hold a seminary degree. Like I'm still working towards that. Um, and so I just, I wasn't qualified. I wasn't exaggerating that. But I kept talking to God about it over the next few weeks and God led me to scripture that fueled a vision for our kids and I, I started developing a plan and I, I built this like visual map with all these different points and all of the points filtered into these four buckets that represented the mission of Providence Church, which is to seek God, welcome people, offer Christ, and respond by serving. You know, and I felt really good about it, printed it out, went to my interview, and I felt like things were going really well until Jacob asked me this question. He said, Angela, say a child were to come to you because they wanted to surrender their life to Jesus. Could you walk us through what a conversation like that would look like? 
And that's what was happening in the room. Like nothing, silence, you know? Because I could not tell him, because I did not know. I didn't know. And in those moments, I have learned it is always better to be humble and admit that I don't know than it is to try to make something up, you know? So I looked at him, it was sitting on my left, and I looked at him and I said, Jacob, I don't, I don't know what a conversation like that would look like, you know? And he was so gracious because he is so gracious. And everybody in the room was gracious, but I really believed in that moment that there was no way I was getting that job, no way. Because the point of the whole thing is Jesus, you know, to offer our kids hope, healing, and wholeness in Jesus Christ. And I didn't know how to have the conversation to make that happen, you know? So, so the plan, the vision, none of it mattered without Jesus because it, it didn't work without Jesus. It couldn't work without Jesus, you know? And I knew that, but I didn't have an answer. And so I thought that I blew it. And, and that's what I, you know, that's what I told God the whole way home. You know, I tried and I blew it. But our staff relations team has always been just this amazing group of prayerful, faithful people. And I am so grateful for that. And they believed that I was the person for the job. And they offered it to me, which was shocking. I mean, I was like speechless and filled with joy and filled with fear, um, but just truly surprised. Like it felt like a true underdog victory for me. You know, have you ever experienced one of those in your life? Now, I don't know if this is true. It, it feels, it certainly feels true to me, um, but, but that we, I read that we all identify in some way with the characteristics of an underdog, that in some capacity, we all um, identify with being the smaller one or the weaker one or the one with lesser talent or um, deeper pain or at a more perceived disadvantage in life. And we kind of hold on to that identity, you know, like even Tom Brady makes up reasons why he's the underdog. And I mean, like, come on. I mean, come on. Like, Tom Brady is not an underdog, but we hold on to it. And if we don't identify with the underdog. We certainly all love an underdog story. You know, there is just something about them. We want the world to be more fair and just. And when the little guy wins, it, it's kind of like it tips the scales a little bit and it, it makes the world feel just a bit more balanced and fair. And, you know, they, they tend to also give us hope. Um, studies have shown that Underdog stories have powerful tendencies to fill us with courage and a belief that we can overcome the things in our lives that, that feel overwhelming and impossible to us. And um, for me, that rings true. And one of the oldest and most famous underdog stories in the history of the world is the story of David and Goliath. And people who, who aren't really familiar with the Bible still know that phrase, David and Goliath, and know that it, it's like the little guy defeats the big guy, right? They understand that part. Um, and so David of the David and Goliath is... is um, if you remember from our message last Sunday, is the little shepherd boy that was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And we're going to meet Goliath today. So the Philistines and the Israelites were the people, um, were the people of God. They were at war. 
And because of the position of the battle, where it was situated on the land, Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time, had a lot to lose, okay? His strength, his power, his territory, all of it was at risk. And he knew it. He knew that. But every morning, the two armies would line up on the opposing um, hillsides with the Elah Valley um, in the center, and they would yell their battle cries at each other, okay? And then Goliath, who was said to be like almost 10 feet tall and, and wearing like almost 126 pounds of this massive bronze armor, would step out in front of the lines and he would, um, he would shout like taunts to the Israel ar- Israelites. And he had this like massive sword and massive spear and he was just really intimidating. So here, here's what Goliath would say. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. My husband told me I should read that part with like this big, scary, like brute voice. And I was like, I don't know that I can do it. It's, it wouldn't come across right. But so Goliath was pretty much saying, don't bother using the whole army. Okay, pick your best fighter and send him out to me, which was not an unfamiliar battle tactic during that time. You know, armies didn't necessarily want to lose all of their men to, to certain battles or to battles, and so um, they would send out their best fighter, their champion, and have them duel it out, you know, one-on-one combat, and the winner of that would be, you know, win for the whole, the whole army. But let's, so a full picture, though, of that is that uh, for the Israelites, that champion most likely would have been Saul, right? He wasn't only their king, he was also one of their, their strongest and fiercest fighters. Um, but, we, but we see in scripture here that he was cowering with the rest of the army, right? He was cowering in fear. And so every morning and every night for 40 days, Goliath came out and taunted and ridiculed the Israelites. And here's where David enters the story. Three of his oldest brothers were in Saul's army. And so his dad sent him with food um, for them and, and to find out how they were doing. And as he got there, Goliath stepped out from the battle line and shouted his usual disdain for the army, of the people of God, you know. But this time, David heard him. Now, the Israelites had been saying, like the soldiers, okay, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will accept his family from, or exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Okay, so there was great reward for the, for the guy that, that took Goliath down. And David asked the men standing near him, like he was curious, you know, he was asking questions. He was like, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It was interesting because David could have taken one look at Goliath and he could have been like, I'm out, you know, I am done. Because he was only there on like this Grubhub mission to deliver food. 
But he heard what Goliath was shouting, and he was offended. You know, and we see in this moment that Goliath walked by faith, not by sight. Because everyone else was like afraid of what Goliath looked like. And David was offended by what he was saying. He was like, what is this guy saying? Like, who is this guy? I mean, how dare he defy the armies of the living God? Like, who is going to do something about this, right? This little guy, the guy that was unqualified, was like asking all of these trained soldiers, like, who is going to take this guy down? And no one stepped up, right? When no one stepped up, David was like, he was not having it. And so instead of going home, he kept talking to the soldiers and what he said to them was reported to Saul and then Saul wanted to talk to him. And and here's, here's what he said to Saul. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight for him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. He was like, it's not possible. But David was not deterred. He told Saul he had been tending to his father's sheep, you know, and he'd been protecting his flock from wild animals. He said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God, right? He knew the risk. He was aware of it, but he knew the importance. He said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. This is a big moment. It was a big moment when I like, read it, you know, because it's like Saul put his life and his whole kingdom in David's hands. I mean, he just surrendered it to him. And then if you, you know, read the story this week, you'll see that um, he tried on his armor. Saul offered him his, honor, his armor and he tried it on and it didn't fit him. It didn't feel right. And so he just picked up five stones from a stream and with his sling and his staff, he approached Goliath. And a lot of us hear this story and we think like, man, that's really brave. And it is really brave. But here's the thing. David was an experienced slinger. Okay, it's how he took, he took, care, like he took care of the bears and the lions, right? It's how he, he protected his sheep. And slingers were like the snipers of their day. I mean, they were fierce. And in the hands of an expert, a slingshot and a slingstone, um, they could reach speeds of up to 100 miles per hour and land within like two inches of their target, right? So, so a brave and an accurate slinger was lethal. So David was well-equipped for the battle, you know, and Goliath had no idea what was coming for him. It kind of makes us rethink the whole underdog story, doesn't it? <laughs> So Goliath looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, 
You come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching his bag, in his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground." So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David defeated Goliath. You know, and that story has been like, like hope for us since, since it occurred. And because David was not acting out of a desire for his own glory, but to see God glorified and the people of God strengthened, the people of God made an incredible comeback and their enemy turned away and ran. So what does this story mean for us today? People view it from a lot of different perspectives. There's a lot of commentary out there about it. It's just such a rich story. There's so many lessons to be learned from it. But the traditional understanding of this story goes something like this. David is the underdog hero that we identify with. And because of his fearless example, we now know that we can overcome the giants we face in our lives if we have courage and bold faith. God was with David and helped David fight his battle. God is with us and will help us fight our battles. And as the people of God, we absolutely believe that to be true. God goes before us and behind us. God is beside us and all around us. We are surrounded. But there is something missing from this story. Or should I say someone? Jesus. Jesus is missing. You know, Tim Keller, a great pastor and theologian, um, he teaches that contrary to what a lot of us have learned about this story, you and I are not meant to identify with David. While David is a great example for us as someone who trusted in our mighty God and, and teaches us through his faithfulness to walk in strength and confidence and how to, how to come back to God again and again in our lives, you and I are not meant to identify with David in this story because Goliath is too great for us to overcome. You know, more often, we resemble Saul and the rest of the Israelites when we face major obstacles in life. We tend to be fearful. We hide and, and complain and we make excuses and we hope desperately that the problem will just go away. I mean, why does it come out to haunt us and taunt us day and night? We just want it to go away. We want the problem to be gone, right? We just, we don't want to deal with it. We hope for a champion. It's why we seek the best lawyers and the best doctors and the most passionate advocates, right? And thank God that we have them. 
but we want someone mighty to come in for us and fight our battles for us and win. We hope for a savior. We are like, we're like the Israelites. And the point of this story, the point of the whole thing is Jesus. It's to point us to Jesus, our savior. It's to show us how David is set apart. He is different than everyone else. He, he, um, he was the champion that God sent that was willing to sacrifice himself for the people of God like Jesus did for us. You know, Saul surrendered like his life and, and his whole kingdom into his hands like we are asked to do with Jesus. David modeled another way, a way without swords or spear like Jesus, right? With Jesus whose battle cry is love and mercy and grace and humility. David helped the people of God make an incredible comeback like Jesus did when he defeated sin and death, right? The ultimate Goliath. And David did it all to bring honor and glory to God so that his name would be lifted high like Jesus. So we are not David. Even though we, we, um, we should, our lives should point people to Jesus, right? And we, we, we are called to serve people and we are called to raise our voices and we are called to, to fight for people, you know? But we cannot put ourselves in his shoes because we need Jesus to be in that role for us. Because we are all in desperate need of a spirit anointed champion to go before us and take down the giants in our world. We need Jesus to fight our battles because our enemies, our enemies tremble at the mere mention of his name, not our name, not our name. Our own courage and resourcefulness are not enough. The people of God tried that. It did not work without Jesus. It could not work without Jesus. So Jesus became an underdog for us. And our divine hero did not triumph through, uh, through battle like David. He ushered in a new way. He triumphed through submission and death. So our, our champion, our savior, our Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what would I say to that kid who wanted to surrender their life to Jesus? I would celebrate with them. And I would tell them that they made the best decision of their life. I would tell them that the kingdom of heaven is theirs and that the God of all creation has welcomed them home. I would tell them that there is not a thing that they could do to make God stop loving them, that God is a God of grace and mercy. And I would tell them that Jesus defeated evil and death forever. And they now have everlasting life because of him. 
And even though we still face scary things in this world, Jesus walks with us and we can rejoice in him and find peace and strength and confidence in him as our champion. That they will never be alone and are no longer without hope. That by inviting Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their lives, that they are now more than conquerors right now and forever. I would pray with them and ask, ask them to ask God to um, defeat the Goliaths that are taunting them. That they would know just how brave and strong and known and loved they are. And I would give them the biggest hug because everything changes when you find out that with God, even the underdogs have what it takes. You know, with Jesus, we have what it takes because he is enough. And I may not say all of that to a kid because they would probably have really big eyes and, and back away from me very, very slowly. Um, but I'm saying it to you. So if you're feeling like an underdog today, and you feel like you're lacking the strength and confidence to face whatever it is you're up against, if you are in desperate need of a comeback, I want you to know that your champion, your savior is here. Don't lose heart. Invite him in to your biggest battles and trust that he will fight for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we are just so grateful for you, for the way that you emptied yourself out and just came to this earth for us and that you would endure death on a cross for us because you knew that, that we could not do it on our own, that, that we needed you. I just pray today for the people that, um, that are in desperate need of you that are looking around their life and, and it is just um, one battle after another, God. And I just pray that you bust in there <laughs> as their champion and you usher in a new way for them, a new life for them, God, a life of hope and joy and peace. We know you can, we know you can. So I just pray that, that they invite you in today, God that they recognize that it is you that is knocking at the door and they invite you in. We love you. Amen.